Warning, this eighth installment of Spockern Review Podcast's Bond Marathon will contain adult language, mature situations, a more punny judo-chopping main character, horribly racist stereotypes, the first Bond film to feature supernatural elements, Pip-mobiles, New Orleans jazz music, and crocodile farms. Listener discretion is advised. Sparkin Motion Picture Review, James Bond 007, Live and Let Die. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Sparkin Review Podcast. I'm your host Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? Hey, it's Greta. Yes, and we are back for another fun-filled episode of this awesome thing we've been doing, the Bondathon, or the Bond Marathon, which has been pretty cool. We've got eight episodes in, and I've got to say... It's been a trip. Um, nice use of your 70s vernacular. Yes, it has, because this is a film which takes place in 1973, and things are different. It's oh. definitely disco. Definitely disco. Also, no suit and, t- well, no regular uh, tuxedo in this film. And that's a disappointment. I love that about James Bond. Who doesn't like a man in a suit? But... Before we get into the review of this awesome and unique film, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Sparkin is a podcast that provides informative reviews about connectly enhanced narratives. Every podcast, we talk about various different geeky topics depending on the show you're listening to. Since this is the motion picture review, we talk about movies, manga review, talk about manga, games, games, conventions, con reports, so on and so forth. We tell you the pros and cons about each thing, if it's worth investing your time, and if you should... Stay with it or avoid it like the plague. If you want to listen to any of our over 300, or actually it's 500 episodes, you can check them out at www.spirekin.com. Also, we can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and various other social media sites. Just type in Spirekin, I guarantee you'll find us. Like us, subscribe to us, and if you want to do something kind of cool, go to tinyurl.com forward slash Help Zan, H-E-L-P-X-A-N, and that takes you to our Apple Podcast site, and you can actually leave comments and, more importantly, ratings. You rate us good, that kind of helps us out, and it's a little bit of putting a tip in the tip jar, because we don't give you, you know, it just helps me, keeps me motivated. I like to think of it more as a high five. Yes, it's kind of giving us a high five and keeps me motivated, love doing this podcast. I do love it, doing it since 2008, I want to keep going on as long as I can with doing this podcast, not pod fading at all. So now that, oh, and if you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can email me personally at Zan, that's X-A-N, at Spirekin.com, or at Spirekin on Twitter. So now that that's out of the way, let's get to it, Chai, because we are on the eighth James Bond film in the Eon series. So we're not talking about Casino Royale starring Peter Sellers, or Never Say Never Again starring Sean Connery, but that's in the far distant future. We're talking about 1973's Live and Let Die. Now, this is another film that's based off of a, one of the Ian Fleming films. This is the one that's based off of the book 
that came out all the way back in 1954, so that's over 20 years, or it's 19 years, right? 73 minus 54? Yes. 19 years? Yes. And this one, unlike the last film, sticks a little closer to the original source material, because the last one, Diamonds Are Forever, they took the original concept and threw it out the window because spelling had issues. This one stayed more to form and became a very unique film, even though they took one aspect of the concept and went way too far with it. Anyway, so this is directed by Guy Hamilton again, the guy who did Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. He's back again in Live or Let Die. Now, in our cast, we have some great actors in it. Now, first off, one of the bigger actors we have, well, first off returning, is Lois Maxwell and... Bernard Lee, returning as Many Penny and M. This film does not have Q at all. Which is weird. Desmond Llewellyn is not in this film, which is kind of sad and tragic. You had Madeline Smith portraying Miss Caruso, a Italian agent who James briefly romances in the beginning of the film. You have Earl Jolly Whisper as one of the two three henchmen in this film, and that's Whisper, a henchman who only speaks in whispers and he's kind of portly which kind of fits a little bit right he's also short and dumpy you have jeffrey holder as baron semity the henchman who's kind of connected to the the voodoo occult he's he's portraying the loa baron semity gets into the whole thing also fun little fact jeffrey holder also appears in the future in the movie annie as punjab And then later on in the 2005 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp, he is the narrator. So he's been around for a while. He's pretty prolific. And once you know that, you can't unknow it. Yeah. And also, he's someone who's very, his voice is very familiar. You could tell. It's very bombastic and (laughs) Right? Yes. Yes. In a wah-ha-ha-ha kind of way. Yes, because his laugh is kind of important to the film. You have Gloria Hendry as Rosie Carver, who's a CIA agent. Well, she's a double agent working for the CIA and for the villain, Mr. Big. And more importantly, she's the first African-American Bond girl who actually has a romantic relationship with James. It's not a, oh, I'm going to make out with you for a minute and then run away. No, this is like there's a whole thing going on. And she's way more fit than James. Way she more has that fit. cut in where you can see that she has not just abs, but she has lower abs, too. This is that foxy brown, thin, bell-bottoms, super short hair. Like, hello, 70s. Yes. You have David Hedison as the fifth incarnation of everyone's favorite CIA colleague, Felix Leiter. And this one, he's actually the one that you think of the most because... He is one of two actors who plays Felix more than once. And I think he fits really well as yeah. Felix. He's better than the last couple, but this is the definitive Felix in most people's mind if you've watched Bond films. So we're getting to the top. Next you have Julius Harris as Tihi, who is the primary henchman. Who? What's special about Tihi besides his dumb laugh that he has? doesn't have an arm. Yes. He has a mechanical arm, which is done well when you see it, but when it's not revealed, when it's within a sleeve, you can see where his wrist is and he's bending it in a 
I'm holding this kind of way. He looks like he's a kid who's dressed up as a pirate holding the, you know, where you have the fake arm. Yes. That's exactly what he looks like. He looks like he has the, you know, he's like holding the fake hook hand in his hand when it's not showing it. But when it opens up, you see the actual design of the hook. It's actually really cool. It's a pincer. And he's pretty intimidating. And his story behind the pincer is really cool. You have Jane Seymour, a.k.a. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, for those of you who watched Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman back in the 90s, is playing the love interest of Bond, the main Bond girl, Solitaire, who is psych. And it's so weird to see Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, like, you know, New Frontier, Western Land, like, all covered up, maybe a little bit older. You've seen her in other sitcoms as a this is her first movie role. She's kind of sexy. She's still pure because she's a virgin. She's a in teenager in this. She's a teenager in this, but still, like, there's a lot of booby shots, like, where she's a little bit more sexy. Like, it's weird seeing a teenage sexy Dr. Quinn medicine woman. Also, she has magic abilities. She's a psychic. And she uses cards to tell a future, and it's kind of cool how that gimmick works. There's a lot of... Um, magical mystical stuff in this one yes like another one of the henchmen we didn't talk about is dambala by played by eric ebbins he's just a weirdo who wears a goat's head and he kills people by using a snake very weird way you have clifton james probably the worst part of this movie but he is a good old boy he's playing sheriff jw pepper who is how would you describe sheriff pepper Tobacco chewing, donut eating, deep south white sheriff. Yes. Like, if you've ever seen Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Smokey, like that level of sheriff. Like, completely unrelenting and stupid, but like, just crazy. Like the parent in PTA that has too much power. Yeah, who's oh, it's 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 just like typical angry, arrogant is the guy that's like, well, listen, listen, boy, I am here by. He doesn't just call anyone boy; he calls everyone boy. He does it, and he it doesn't matter your color, your age. He thinks of himself as superior, and will call you therefore boy. And he is in charge of everything. Like, he goes to people who are outrank him and said, Listen, boy, I'm in charge of this organization, so we're going to do what I say. The best part is that he says, My brother, he's going to save the day. There's my brother right there. And it turns out it's a guy who stole his brother's boat, and it's a black guy. They just look at him like, Wait, what? what the hell is this about? Pretty funny. But you have Yafet Kodo from Alien and Running Man playing our villain, Mr. Big, a.k.a. Dr. Kananga. Also, a little fun fact, while scouting for this film, they saw a crocodile farm, which is used in this movie as a big set piece, Kananga Crocodile Farms. And the deal was, in order for them to use the crocodile farm, they had to name a character after Kananga. So they decided to make the main villain's name Kananga. Kind of cool. Say it again. Kananga. Kananga. And he is this corrupt Caribbean prime minister who's also a major drug lord. It's kind of cool. And then finally, in this film, we have a new James Bond. Because, as we said, George Lazenby ran away. Sean Connery left. And 
United Artists said, Hey, Sean, you want to do this next movie? You know what he said? No. He said, No way. I'm done. I'm finished. So United Artists is like, uh, What are we going to do? Okay, so first, let's talk to Adam West, Batman. Batman said, No. He said, All right, what about Burt Reynolds? Burt Reynolds, he says, Listen, Bond should be played by a Briton. I'm not doing it. You know, they tried Julian Glover. John Gavin came back. They still said no. Jeremy Britt, Simon Oates, William Gaunt, Michael Billington. They kept trying to get American actors in there. But our Albert Broccoli said no. It's got to be British actors. And how about the one we tried so many times to get? We're talking about Roger Moore. And he just finished The Saint. So they agreed. And Roger Moore is starting to play James Bond. It's the first one of him playing James Bond. And and he's a good Bond. He's a very different Bond than Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. He's a, and Lazenby. He is a little more punny. He's a little more quippy. He actually fights and uses judo chops. Kind of cool. And another thing about him is that Sean Connery, he would... Be a little rapey with women, but he still would respect them a little bit. Meanwhile, Roger Moore would be like, I'm going to have seduce you, have sex with you, and then I'm going to say, I'll kill you. So it like kind of gets to the point, which is a little bit more, I don't know, he's more of a threat. Like Sean Connery, debonair no matter what, but you could be intimidated by him a little bit when he's intimidating. Roger Moore is, I'm going to be a little bit jovial, but no matter what, when it, I have to get serious, I get very serious. Not going to play, and he goes above and beyond, I think. Anyway, so what is Live and Let Die about? So Live and Let Die about is that a bunch of agents are killed under mysterious circumstances within 24 hours throughout the world, specifically in the United Nations in New York, New Orleans, and then on the specific nation of San Monaco, where they've been observing a dictator, Dr. Kananga. So who are they going to get to find out what happened to these three MI6 agents? Who would they get? Well, James Bond. Yes, and as we see, James is in his apartment making out with an a new colleague and it starts off slow and doesn't really reveal him but then when it reveals him we see it's Roger Moore and he's charismatic and he's being very debonair and then he hears a noise in his kitchen goes out who's in his kitchen M ready to tell him his orders in the middle of his kitchen he's like uh okay I gotta and he kind of acts like nothing's wrong he just got woke up he starts making a drink for himself and offering it for his boss tells him the situation and then many penny shows up randomly in his living room also so it's not the um, we have our secret base somewhere no it's they just showed up where he was and they start dealing with this also many penny knows what's going on because she looks in his closet and sees the girl hiding there but doesn't Which tell him surprises her doesn't tell M. She's she's very cool about it, but she's flirty. Also, M gives Bond his latest watch. He says this is probably your your eighth watch. So nice little nod there. And this is a watch which has a magnet built into it. So this is the first of the Bond watches which has the gimmicks in it. It's a Seiko watch, and I actually have a Seiko watch, so that's kind of cool. And this is the first one with gimmicks in it. So. It becomes a bond stable from this point on. And there's a comment that's made where they're like, well, do you really need such an expensive watch? 
James, and then he shows the cool gadgetness of it. Which is a super magnet. It's kind of cool. And then he ends up going... And then he's like, oh, yeah. okay, I get it. So he makes a pun, flirts with many paint a little bit, opens up the closet, and the girl's there. She's sheer and nice and cute. And then, being smooth, because it's a magnet, he uses the magnet to lower her zipper. Unzip her zipper. Hey, it's, it works, though. It was very cool. Now, like She's like, I don't feel your hands. Sheer magnetism, darling. Mm-hmm. And this is the beginning of... Of the best puns ever. Yes. This is all the puns, because... Because this is the beginning of pun land for Bond. So, he is a flight to New York. So, he goes to 70s New York. It's 73. And this is the first time you see that James Bond in this movie is not going to be wearing the typical black suit, the tuxedo. No, he's wearing a 70s suit, which is brown and just the colors clash. Not my favorite. Nope. And he, he actually looks at his ticket and it has a number on it. And he sees a cab with the same number. Kind of cool way to show the secret nature of the business it's not the oh you need a code word no it's on his ticket where he has to go the cab he has to use it's kind of cool so he's going to meet felix Leiter, and immediately someone kills his driver which are we surprised no but we see that the driver is a big fat guy who we discover his name is whisper he's kind of one of the goons for mr big so they end up going to finding out that the the murderer, uh, the guy who killed the driver, is employed by Mr. Big, this gangster who runs a bunch of restaurants called Filet Soul throughout the U.S. And there's one in New York, there's one in Louisiana, there's one in San Monaco, and all over you find him. So he goes to the first one, he goes to see what's going on, he sits in a booth. And... The booth whips whips around, and all of a sudden he's on the other side of the wall. And you see Mr. Big, who is a pimp-looking fellow with ashy skin. Like, his face looks almost fake. But he's like, hey man, what you doing? Oh, that's something I have to bring up. This movie is super racist. He calls Bond a honky. The whole movie is just like, they say, oh, we're looking for a pimp mobile. It just, it takes that black exploitation Because this is during the time of exploitation film. So, it's got a lot of... Too much. A little too much. And it also is kind of like, there's... And all the bad guys are of color. Which is kind of rough. Weird. It's like, there are lots of black characters in this film. But all the villains are all that. There's no diversity. So, a little weird. A little on the nose a little bit. Not not every person of color is a bad guy, but every bad guy is a person of color. Yeah, so that's a rough way to put it. So, and But I do like how this movie opened. It opened with undercover agents all over the place being killed. And the most unique one is in Louisiana, a guy is sitting there watching the, the Filet Soul restaurant, and they see a parade coming up. A funeral. It's a Louisiana funeral, and he's sitting there watching his funeral, and then immediately... It's a funeral procession. So there's the pallbearers with the with the casket. There's the widow and her kids. Older kids, but widow crying. There's a band behind them playing some sad songs. And then as he's watching, a guy comes up behind him. He says, hey, what's going on? It's like, it's a funeral. Whose funeral is it? 
yours. Gets stabbed, falls on the ground. They walk up with the casket, put it under him, and then immediately once he's in the casket, they're playing Louisiana they, jazz music. They set the casket down on top of them. There's a false bottom, so it picks him up. And then the one head trumpeteer lets out this loud 70s Louisiana whale. And then everybody dances. And the entire thing changes. And it's a celebration. And this happens again later with another agent. So it's, it's it kind of fitting. So from here, we go back to the Phileo Soul. He meets a big gangster. And he also meets uh, Mr. Big's assistant. Or someone who's helping him out. Solitaire. Who is a beautiful girl who reads tarot cards. And has the power of the Obeya which are the Loa, the voodoo gods, and they tell them the future and specific remote events in the present. She's a kind of like a channeler, if that makes sense. But, but the whole reason her gift works is because she's a virgin. As soon as, in her family, that's how it works. And as soon as you lose your virginity, you no longer have the ability to read the cards correctly. Yes, and that's kind of a big deal later on. And uh, long story short, Bond is is said to be killed. He beats the bad guys, goes to San Monaco, meets a double agent named Rosie Carver, who they're kind of flirting a little bit. Uh, Also, you see Whisper show up again, but this time he's playing a valet, a really bad valet. And he releases a snake into the apartment, and he beats the snake using his ingenuity and using a cigar and a hairspray lighter. Nicely done, James. And then from there, he ends up sneaking to Kananga's woman's house, where Kananga's woman is Solitaire. And when he goes to meet Solitaire, he kind of tricks her into believing that they're going to hook up by having a loaded deck that says that they're the lovers. And then because they end up hooking up, she loses her ability to see the future. And because she's attracted to him and she's done dealing with Kananga, they decide to escape. And the escape sequence is kind of crazy. Also, we're introduced to Kananga's other henchman, Baron Semedi, who they first say is a actor. They say, oh, he's an actor portraying the Loa Baron Semedi, who, for those who don't know, the Baron Semedi is the... Undead, or never, can't die. Or... He's the, the voodoo god of death, of rebirth. He, typically, you see him with a... A skull face, skull painted on his face, and a top hat. Um, a good example of him is if you've seen Princess and the Frog, the Disney film. Uh, what's the Shadow Man's real name? Uh, Doctor Facilier has Baron Semedi makeup on mm-hmm. half the time, so it kind of fits. And but you see him first. He's like, oh, and as we hear, here's he's dressed up. This is an actor dressed up as Baron Semedi. He's not here to get you. There's lots of references to Baron Semedi that scares Rosie before she gets killed, because she admits that she's betraying Bond in a very like, like he has sex with her. He's like, I'm gonna kill you unless you tell me what's going on. And she runs away, gets killed by a statue, and you see Baron Semedi in the background. But then later on, as Bond and Solitaire are escaping to go to go to New Orleans. They run into a barn and they see a guy sitting there in the chair and it's Baron Semedi without the makeup on. So this kind of hints a little bit that maybe he's something else. We don't really know, right? 
that's left to be very ambiguous. It is. So, anyway, they escape, go to Louisiana, get captured, and are brought. Um, well, they escape, have a big fight. Bond escapes from the without uh, Solitaire in a very cool way. Because Solitaire, actually, when they get caught, Solitaire smacks him so they think that she was kidnapped by Bond instead of her fleeing with, with him. Yeah. So he escapes, goes to the Phileo Soul. Same thing happens where they kill, kill another person who's following him. They go to this restaurant. They walk in and they ask, do you want a booth? And he says, no, I've had a bad experience in a booth. So they put him on a table. And in the front, right in the front, and you have the singer singing the opening theme to... The and, oh, she's 70s-tastic. She is in a beautiful, long, like, column-esque sheath dress that's mostly backless, and it's kind of a rainbow pattern, but the entire thing is, like, flat sequins, and she wiggles around with her arms up in the air, just like you want, like, a 70s like singer to do and that live and let die song is playing yep. like it is it still is playing in my head and she's singing it and as she's singing it felix because felix went with him and he's like oh uh, he had to make a phone call so excuse no the phone was for him so he had to excuse himself to go take it leaving james alone ordering a beverage and the table sinks through the ground. And the guys just cover the table up, put it... They bring a new table out, lickety-split. And then Felix comes out and says, where my friends go? He said, well, listen, shut up, she's singing. And then he's sitting in front of Mr. Big and Solitaire, and you see Teehee there, who is this big goon guy with glasses on and a, like we said, a prosthetic arm. And he starts talking to him, and he asks him straight up, did you, did you mess with that girl? He's like, that's between me, Solitaire, and Mr. Kanenga. Did you mess with that girl? He gets, he starts getting very animated when he's trying to find out if he did something. And it just is a very um, weird, weird moment because he's like, this is a, a drug dealer has nothing to do with Kananga. But however, you see that he gets so frustrated, he starts using his real voice, not the pimp voice. You're like, oh, it's Kananga. And it turns out that ashy face is makeup, it's prosthetics, pulls it off, and it's Kananga. And Kananga, it's like, you know, Solitaire's his woman, and he's frustrated. So he takes Bond, puts him in a chair, they lock him up. And the deal is that they're going to ask Solitaire a question. If she uses her powers, gets it right, Bond lives. If they get it wrong, the first question, he's going to cut off his pinky finger on his left hand. And then go from there. Yes. So the first, he grabs James's watch and says, okay, there's a serial number on the back. Does it end in nine? She uses her powers, or she pretends to use her powers and says, yes. They stop. They start laughing. Uh, he gives James's watch back. They think it's going to be good. We find out kind of what's going on, that he's going to smuggle heroin through his restaurants. Eight, two tons of heroin and put it into the market for free. And that way all the other businesses go away and then he'll have the biggest market ever, which is brilliant. Not to mention a whole bunch of junkies. Yeah, because it's like super heroin that's hidden on San Monique. So as Bond is like, that's a brilliant idea. Goodbye. He gets knocked out. And Kananga confronts Solitaire and says, he's like, you, why do you, do you know that when the time came, I would give you love? 
uh, and he gets very frustrated and just slaps her. And it's a very, how would you describe that moment? When he slaps her? Yeah, just the whole sequence. It seems like he actually cared about her. Which is weird, because he was treating her as a tool, but... But I think he really did care about her. Or he, he thought he did. He did, but he ends up giving her to Baron Samity to be killed. Because you see somebody show up magically, and then he pulls a card from her deck, and it says death on it. And he lights on fire, which gives you more that maybe he's a demon, we don't know. And so... From this point, we have Bond having to get out of an alligator farm, mm-hmm. which is pretty dramatic and also kind of stupid because how does he escape this alligator farm? Because first they put him on a middle of an island with a bunch of hungry alligators who want to eat him. And they pull the bridge back. Yeah, so he can't get out. He runs across them like a cartoon, using them like logs. And then he steals a boat, and they have a really weird boat chase, which is kind of okay except you introduce sergeant peppa who sees what's going on and it gets ridiculous right yes it's just a big chase sequence that's very blues brothersy except it's involving a boat and a car and they kept switching boats like at one point they drive the boats onto a ground and he ends up stealing another boat while the other guys end up into a pool and they steal another boat and it just gets very ridiculous and long story short, ends up where they end up back on San Monique. And he actually, one cool thing is that in order to get back to San Monique, he gets help from an old friend, the son of Quarrel. Now, if you remember when we talked about Dr. No in our first episode, Quarrel was the guy who helped him in a boat who dies a horrible death. This is his son. So it's kind of a nice little continuity. And they bring up the fact that he did work in Jamaica. So that's a nice little continuity there. Yes. But he ends up helping him, brings him to the back to the island. They're going to blow up the poppy field. Uh, he ends up rescuing Solitaire, uh, defeats Baron Samity in a machete fight, and throwing him into a coffin full of snakes. And then this ends into a fight sequence where Kananga captures them both and proceeds to lower them into a shark tank. Now this is the second movie with a shark tank? Yes. It just gets into a crazy point of them just... Well, let's just say the ending... I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's rather explosive. Har, har. Yes, because... He uses his gadget watch. He he, um, touches it and it becomes a little buzzsaw. It's very interesting... How he can use the magnet to... Do things. Yeah. And also it's kind of crazy just seeing how certain things work. Like the one gadget he does have besides the watch is a little ridiculous. But it works and it should not work like that on people. But whatever. And the film ends with a train sequence. Very similar to From Russia With Love. Where Solitaire and Bond are on a train. And it's typical. I want to just stay in a place which has this which is a bed they're kind of hinting and then Teehee shows up because he's still alive perpetuating the point that from this point on the henchmen are going to kind of try to avenge their boss now but what's interesting is even at the very very end the Kananga 
guy is on the front of the train. Like No, that's Semini's at the front of the train. Oh, Semini's on the front of the train. But they shoot him, they kill him, you see him die, you see him lose part of his brain, but he keeps coming back. This is the only film with the supernatural... Like, bad guy. At aspect to it, right. Yeah, where the bad guys there also Solitaire's abilities, and it's kind of a weird point, but... Uh, they have a fight scene at the end where Teehee is trying to kill Bond in a in on the train, and it's very similar to Red Grant's fight with Bond in From Rush with Love. I will say this one's a little more menacing because let's be honest, the, choreogra- the choreography of the fight scenes have significantly grown in purpose and timing since the the last movie and this movie. Them. They don't have that that cut and paste aspect of the okay. We're gonna speed ahead now and make this look faster, and no one will notice. And pow, pow, pow. But these fights are more realistic, more more vicious. And it's kind of cool how it ends, is because he actually uses his prosthetic item against him because he he cuts uses a wire cutter to cut the wires on the tension wires on the prosthetic and it locks on a window and he ends up throwing him out the window which technically on that type of prosthetic wouldn't that have been like strapped to him so it wouldn't that wouldn't have happened I think the force depending on how fast the train was going the force of him being flipped out the train going the angle of his body pulling away from the arm at the same time I think it's plausible yeah maybe but and she comes out completely confused doesn't know what's going on solitaire didn't see the fight it's like why'd you do that for oh just taking care of some business and then it ends with baron 70 laughing and then the cool part is it goes back to the live and let die and his face as he's laughing turns into a skull which is how the movie opens up where you see the a face turn into a skull and that's something, well, we'll talk about the music in a bit, but this film was very different because it's a new age, it's a new Bond, and that 70s style is something different. Especially besides the wardrobe, which it's like all the characters who are like important are wearing essentially pimp suits or 70s like boogie suits almost. At one point, James has to change clothes, and how does he change clothes? He has a reversible jacket because he has that moment like Sean Connery had where he comes out of a swimsuit. And this time it's paragliding suit, and he pulls it off. So he's in all black, but as he pulls it off, his outer pants rip off, and it's a more casual pant. He takes his jacket off, flips it inside out, puts it back on, and it turns out the black outside was now the black inside lining, and he's appropriately dressed. It was very cool. Like, the clothing aspect of that was... Beautiful. But it looks bad. It's He's not like... He looks different. And also, he's not wearing a bow tie. He is wearing just a straight-up tie. He looks very different. And it takes a little bit of time to get used to. But he is a very charismatic Bond. Very punny, though. Very punny. And also, he seems just a bit older than Solitaire. And it's almost kind of... I don't want to say predatorial, but... No... I mean, she's like, she's a teen, but she's like, but I'm not sure if she's necessarily a teen in this movie or just teen in real life. She's definitely young and for sure a virgin. And because of her abilities, she's like not touched. And he is a little more uh, like, 
older, polished, I know better, no, we're meant to be together, and then she gets so excited that she's finally feels like a full woman. Because he's like, because Sean Connery would be like, I'm going to just sweep you off your feet. He's more like, you want... Sean Connery's going to, like, take her, and this guy's more like, no, let's do this. Let's do this together. And makes it like it's her idea. Like, he convinces her it's her idea, not his. Which is a little creepy, but it, it works. Um, so this film has a lot of great action sequences, but with those action sequences, there's a lot of comical moments. Uh, like I said, there was a scene with the alligators. There's a scene with Sergeant Pepper and, or Sheriff Pepper. And then just a couple of things just fit weirdly. So this one's a little disjointed, but it does work. Also, you have some great scenes. It's the West Indies. So you have Haiti, you have New Orleans, and the fact is they didn't want to focus on Mardi Gras. I love that they didn't focus on Mardi Gras. They focused on the funeral aspect. And that was a cool point. And speaking of that, the music. Live and Let Die. With a lot of the other Bond films, you had the James Bond theme, and you had the theme song for the movie playing throughout it. And this one, it's all over the place. And Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney is a awesome rock and roll song and the first rock and roll song used to open a bond film it's very different it's and by the way still playing in my head yeah and it is the first like this is when you first see it open up it is like the awakening of a new james bond movie also when you see the gun barrel it is roger moore it's not a guy with a hat on it's roger moore who is in the barrel so it's different. And the opening sequence, very voodoo-y, a lot of flames. It's very trippy. And then this is the first film to open up when you see the lead actor's name who plays James Bond. There's a gun pointing at the name. And this is going to become a staple throughout the rest of the Bond films. How was I then? It's, it's excellently done. This one is a... I have to say, this is a really, really, really fucking cool. It's a great film, and it is a great Bond film. This is one of the higher-up Bond films. I'd put this in the top four right now. Or top three. Oh, absolutely. Would you give the same rating? Really, really, really fucking cool or flipping cool? Yes. Really, really, really flipping cool. Yeah, it is a a good movie. Um, I don't know what else to say about this, except, well, we are now in the age of Roger Moore in 70s stuff. Can he keep up? Will this still be awesome as we get into later films? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. There's a lot of more I want to say, but I think that's it. Oh, Mr. Big Kananga as a villain? Would you say he's more menacing, or where do you put him in the, in the villain list? I put him pretty. I put him in a decent point because he had a decent plan, and it was yeah. He's below odd job, but he's above the lesbian fighter pilot. Well, he's not. Well, he's the main big bad. Yeah, well, sorry. We'll talk about the. Look at the main big bad, Mister Big. Uh, Samity is above odd job. Not above odd job. He's above the pussy galore. Yes. And Tehe, same thing. They're all Tehe whisper. They're all high level bad guys we'll show that when we get to our list of the villains but as for mr big he's in the top five or top top four right now for villains because 
his plan was brilliant and he had a way to distribute the co- the heroin he had the put he had the location which no one knew about he had diplomatic immunity because he's a, a governor and he could sell it through his lots of his companies right yeah but he's giving it away he's gonna flood the market with two tons of cocaine or heroin which is a little bit crazy also fun fact the singer who sang live and let die in the club is bj arnaud and she was originally going to sing the theme i still see her suit squid squishing around in her psychedelic sequin dress live and let die yes so i think that's it for this episode um oh and we could talk about the double decker bus chase but yeah and the top gang's life well it's not a double decker for long yeah there were the the chase sequences were okay with it uh and the fake there's also fake cro- besides the real crocodiles there was also fake and snakes and alligators there's crocodiles and alligators together yeah and fake snakes which look really bad uh it's a weird movie. It's a fun movie, though. Uh, let us know what you think. You email me personally at zanspirekin.com. And let us know where you think this goes in the Parthenon of Bond movies. Is this a, one of your higher-up movies, or do you think it's a lower movie? Let us know. And the random question for the day is going to be, do you think Roger Moore at this point was a worthy successor to Sean Connery? And George Lazenby, let us know. Sorry about that. I'll edit that out. And do you think the Bond girls have gotten better or worse? Yes. Are these Bond girls better? Are they worse? Or are they they staying the same Are they up to James' standards? Who knows? We'll find out. With that in mind, I'm Zan. I'm Greta. We're Gonsville. We'll catch you guys next time. Keep reading manga. Keep watching movies. And keep loving Bond. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.
If this ever-changing world in which we live in makes you Live and let die James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die. My name's Bob. James Bob. Names is for tombstones, baby. Waste him, now. James Bond is back, and wherever he drops in, it can mean only one thing. Trouble! This is the Bond adventure with more excitement, more action, more danger, and more. Much more. Roger Moore as James Bond, 007. Double O Seven is on a worldwide manhunt. The body count is going up. Bond stops to visit. He leaves his mark on everything. They'll kill you. They will kill us. That was lesson number two, togetherness. Is that time before we leave for lesson number three? Absolutely. seat and hang on. If any man can show just cause where they may not lawfully be joined together. Because Bond is on the move. And if you miss this one, you'll miss the most exciting 007 adventure of them all.
did have an inflated opinion of himself. 